You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. This is Mining Stock Education, and I'm your host, Bill Powers. Thank you for tuning in again today. We're going to be touching base and getting our update from Dave Kranzler of Investment Research Dynamics. Dave also runs a precious metals and mining fund. He's the editor of the Mining Stock Journal and the co-producer of the Mining Stock Daily Podcast. Dave, thank you for coming on the show again, and it's great to touch base with you. Let's start by uh, getting your perspective on the gold-silver ratio. I've come across some ideas where some commentators have said if you're expecting silver to really outperform gold to a large degree, you might be disappointed. How would you engage that idea? Um, Well, first of all, I'd like to say thanks for having me on again. always enjoy doing this podcast and especially talking about junior mining stocks and just the industry in general. Um, I, I think the I think the argument behind the relative performance of silver versus gold is is you know a lot of people when they're assessing you know the potential going forward for for silver versus gold that look at the gold silver ratio and um, I mean over extremely long periods of time it, it kind of has been around you know averaged out around 16 or or it's always at some point in time touched down at 16, at least in in the modern era. I mean, if you go back to Roman times, it was, they set the gold silver ratio at eight to one. And that's because it was essentially aligned with the amount of silver in terms of ounces or how, you know, whatever measurement they were using. It was basically an eight to one ratio of silver versus gold being, being mined back then. And, and it's, it's interesting because if you look at really long-term charts and you can find them on, you know, using Google on the internet. And uh, one of the things that I happened to notice when I first started getting into the sector pretty much 20 years ago and was really doing a lot of background research and, and just trying to get as educated about all aspects as I could, is that if you if you track the gold-silver ratio through the various eras, uh, it, it's... It, especially if you look at it like post-Civil War era in this, you know, in this country, the, the gold-silver ratio starts to slowly rise and gravitate away from kind of the, the mid-teens. You know, it, I mean, it bounces around over, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years, but it starts to kind of gravitate higher starting in the late 1800s. And, um, and the same thing with the Dow-gold ratio, which for, you know, the first... I don't know, call it 100 years, 150 years of this country's formation. Um, the gold-silver ratio was was pretty close to one-to-one. I mean, the Dow-silver ratio. And then it starts to slowly move higher in the in the late 1800s. And and what I found interesting about that is if you if you kind of study the history of of the the gold backing of of the you know gold as as the currency as the actual currency and and sort of dollars as representative you know being being dollars were issued against gold so that you could fractionalize it and use it for make it easier for commerce well you can actually tie the beginning of the of the dislocation of or the you know the unbacking of gold from the dollar to um to president lincoln's administration because what happened was uh he his administration um passed a law that that allowed 
people to settle debts with with um, government bonds rather than gold and silver or gold and silver certificates, which is really what the currency was was gold and silver certificates. And uh, it, the 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 um, the law went all the way up to the Supreme Court when Ulysses Grant was president, and it and the Supreme Court upheld it. And so that was that actually started the unbacking of the dollar from gold and silver. So and then um, you know when the Fed was formed. Uh, in 1913, you start to see the Dow gold ratio go higher and, and, and also the gold silver ratio. Um, in, uh, I think it was, I want to say, I think in the crash of 29, the Dow, the Dow gold ratio reverted back to one to one. And I think, again, I, if memory serves me right, the gold silver ratio got down to 16 or maybe a little lower. And then it then it started to move higher again and again as you're moving through you know FDR's administration Truman's administration Bretton Woods um, that you know that the dollar becomes less and less backed by gold and and those ratios gravitate higher right so um, now in in uh, 1980 when gold peaked um, you basically I think you basically had a one-to-one Dow ratio Dow gold ratio briefly and the gold silver ratio went got down to 16 briefly. Um, you know, and now we're in the era of just pure fiat currency. So um, what I would argue in terms of whether or not we'll ever see a, a, a um, gold silver ratio that goes under 20 will largely depend on whether or not when there's an eventual global monetary reset and there will be eventually. I just, you know, no one no one can tell you when it'll happen. Uh, Alistair McLeod has written some articles and he thinks it's possible it could happen by the end of this year. I, I'm not going to disagree with him. I mean, I would have thought it would have already happened already. Um, so, uh, you know, it's impossible to put a time frame on when that'll happen. But when gold and silver are eventually reincorporated into the global monetary system, we'll definitely see uh, the gold-silver ratio will definitely uh, gravitate towards it's his long-term historical meaning. I'm not talking about the last 50 years. The last 50 years where this country was essentially a de facto fiat currency monetary system, the dollar. Uh, I'm talking about the last 500 or 5,000 years. And that, that's what you need to look at because, you know, over longer periods of time, the world has been on a gold standard for most of that time. So when we do see the ultimate collapse of fiat currencies and the remonetization of gold and silver, I think you're going to see the gold silver because they're going to have to incorporate silver into the monetary system also. Just because I, I just, you know, they'd have to reset the price of gold at too high a level in order for uh, just because it's just, the, you know, the, the growth of, of countries and populations. So um, I, I do think. I do think that you're, we're going to start to see, you know, well, we've already seen the gold silver ratio peak. It peaked at like, you know, 130, 135, whatever it was. And now it's under 100. So and and I think it's going to continue moving lower and silver is going to outperform gold. And it's not going to happen every day. It's going to be volatile. Um, and ultimately, I think that uh, mining companies that have a blend of gold and silver or, you know, pure primary silver mining companies, which there's not a lot of them left anymore, are going to outperform, um, you know, just, you know, co companies that primarily produce gold or companies that are uh, primarily ex exploring for gold deposits. So, um, 
that that's kind of my take on the situation. I guess that's a long way of saying I, I, I disagree with the view out there that, um, you know, the gold silver ratio has reached a, um, you know, a, a, a structural higher plateau. I think I think eventually we're going to see a much lower gold silver ratio. And I think it, it ultimately will go below where it where it um, bottomed out back in 2011, which was the low 30s. Thank you for that commentary, Dave. And I think a key difference is that, as you said, you see silver as a um, its monetary role, whereas a lot of the people that I've listened to that don't see the reversion to historical means in a bull market uh, for the silver and gold ratio, they're focusing more on silver as an industrial metal and basically don't give it any economic qualities. And like you said, if it has a role in the upcoming economic system, it's got to be revalued. So, I mean, it's it's poor man's gold. If you're going to have a, a monetary system based on monetary metals, you got to have silver in there, too, so that, you know, the middle class and, and, and the below middle class people can, can afford to, you know, hold hold silver. You know, they're not going to they're not going to go out and buy bricks of gold. They're going to look to buy silver coins. And silver actually was a monetary metal before gold was for thousands of years, thousands of years. Well, I mean, it wasn't a monetary metal for thousands of years before gold. But uh, going thousands of years back, silver was actually a monetary metal before gold. So, I mean, there's there's historical pedigree and precedence there. And, I, you know, you, you can't ignore the monetary qualities of silver. They're, they're very similar to the qualities of gold. And in our nation's founding documents, which we seem to ignore nowadays, <laughs> they call silver money, don't yes. they? Yes, absolutely. Well, tra- transitioning to the juniors, and let's talk about silver juniors. Uh, I have a question about a recommendation that you gave a year ago for Silver Junior Discovery Metals. You recommended last summer at about 20 cents US. This stock has just been rip roaring as of recent, hitting uh, as we speak 92 cents US. So that's about a four and a half time gain for you and your subscribers. So when you have a stock go like this, it goes up 350%. At what point do you say I'm going to take some off the table of my investment or possibly all of it? Like, how do you make an exit strategy decision at this point? Well, that, that's a great question. Um, I, I've addressed that. You know, it's basically capital management and position management in my, my mining stock journal newsletter. I've addressed it in the past and I've, I've had a a lot of new subscribers lately, and several have asked me about that over the last week, specifically with reference to um, stocks like Discovery Metals or um, GR Silver. Um, that has had a Eli Gold Royalty has had a huge gain from when I first recommended it, and um, you know. It, I'm going to sort of answer it partially, but I, I literally just wrote up my 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 view on it and, and the way that I think is a good way to look at it for my subscribers in the next issue, which is next Thursday. But um, I mean, it, it the simple answer to that is if you if you bought you know, a decent sized position for yourself. And again, all of this, you know, the, it, it's, it's an art, not a science. And a lot, you know, a lot of the, there's a lot of variables involved. And part of the variable, one of the variables is, you know, your preference for risk and your tolerance for risk. Um, and you know, when you, when you, if you bought discovery metals at 20 cents, did you just buy a little, you know, toehold position and it started going higher and you said, I'll wait and see if it pulls back. And it didn't. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden you've got a, a 400% gain on it. What do you do with it? Um, 
you know, if, if it's just a small position, I'd probably hold it because the way that I would look at Discovery Metals is it's got essentially right now about a $210 million market cap, U.S. dollars. Everything that I'll talk about will be in U.S. dollars as opposed to Canadian dollars. Um, and uh, I mean, if, if they're if they have what they think they do um, with with their silver project in, in Mexico, um this, you know, Discovery Metals could, you know, in the next year or 18 months, it could turn into a $500 million market cap company. So you got another double in it, right? But, you know, if you bought a large position in it down at 20 cents and all of a sudden you're sitting on 400% gain, I think you got to sell at least a third of it, you know, take it, take, take, you know, the cash off the table. You know, if you sell, if you sell a third of it, you've got the rest essentially for free, right? Um, you know, for me, if it's any stock, it doesn't matter if it's a mining stock or or a tech stock or you know a company that produces widgets. If you got a 400% gain on a on a decent sized position, you got to sell at least a third and maybe even a half because you know markets don't go straight up. And Discovery Metals, you know, has gone somewhat straight up, but it's not going to keep going straight up. You're going to have sector volatility and and you, you you know you'll have ups and downs that are specific to the company in terms of expectations versus, you know, especially for like drill results, you know, Cordero, that's the name of their project. I was trying to think of it. I've, I've been familiar with that one since um, Levon Resources, um, you know, before Discovery merged with Levon and, and took over the Cordero project. But uh, um, at, so at any rate, you know, now at 90 cents, you've got a certain level of expectations about the drill results going forward. And if those drill results, and it's very possible, you know, they, they could fall short of expectations the next couple drill, you know, drill holes or, or um, you know, series of news releases on the current drill program. And if that happens, you're going to see a sell off in the stock. Now, a series of, of um, drill results that don't meet expectations doesn't mean the project's not going to do what we think it'll do or what management thinks it'll do. It just means they were drilling in the wrong place for what they were trying to get accomplished with those specific holes. And it, But it also gives the management more information for the next drill program or the next set of holes that they're going to drill. You see what I'm saying? So, you know, but, but, you know, at 90 cents, you got a certain level of expectations built in, say the next three months, the, the results don't meet the expectations, the stock sells off to 70 cents, you know, you're, you'll be happy that you sold stock at 90 cents, and then you can take some cash. And if you still like the story, and you still think it could go from a $200 million market cap company to a $500 million market cap company, you bite you add some at 70 cents. So, um, that, that's kind of kind of gist of, of um, you know, managing managing your capital and managing positions and managing the overall risk of your of your holdings. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Osino Resources is a Ross Beattie-backed gold exploration company in mining-friendly Namibia. Osino's district-scale land package is situated near two producing gold mines, one of which Osino's management team previously developed and sold to B2 Gold. Osino's founders and management are experienced mining professionals who have already successfully developed and sold two companies in the past seven years. Osino has a tight share structure, and with its current treasury, it can self-fund the advancement of its gold discovery into at least 20 2022. This is an exploration company with drills turning that you'll definitely want to pay attention to. Osino trades in New York under the ticker O-S-I-I-F and in Toronto under the ticker O-S-I. To learn more, go to OsinoResources.com. That's OsinoResources.com. 
on a relative basis within the junior mining sector when you compare a discovery metals or a different discovery exploration story like Great Bear, which is reaching just astronomical valuations relative to two years ago. You know, when you could take stories like these and you compare them to some of the mid-cap producers, don't you think a safer investment at this point might be the mid-cap producers? I, you know, again, it, it's kind of... I know what you're saying there. I mean, certainly with Great Bear, there's still, you know, a lot of risk there and a lot of de-risking that has to go on. And there's no guarantee that it's going to end up being an operating mine. I think I think Great Bear will probably will be. And I, I, but nothing's 100 percent certain until it actually happens in this industry. I mean, you, you know, there's companies like Treasury Metals that I've followed for a long time. And it's actually I was pounding the table on it over the last three or four months. I was pounding the table on it below 20 cents. And now it's yesterday it closed at 40 cents. And, you know, for a company that's basically, you know, a hop, skip and a jump away from making a construction decision. I mean, it's it's substantially de-risked, like significantly more de-risked than Great Bear. I mean, they've they've basically have almost have all their permits in place. They're, they'll be able to get uh, construction financing, and they still preface everything they say with, you know, assuming we make a decision to proceed with construction. So, and that tells you, I mean, they're saying that because there's always still some risks that could come in out of left field that that undermine the ability to take the company to the next step. And I mean, I'm probably 99% certain that won't happen with Great Bear, but uh, you know, that a lot of people might say that's optimistic. So. Um, I mean, Great Bear, I, shoot, I forgot what the market cap is right off the top of my head. And you're right. I was looking at it just the other day. I'm like, wow, this market cap's getting pretty high. But it's basically telling you the market is has 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 looked at what they've drilled out already and has and it's high quality it's high grade it's it looks like there's going to be a lot of it although you don't know for sure until they start doing a lot more infill drilling um, but it looks like it's going to be a monster project it's kind of the same thing with silvercrest metals it's going to be a monster silver project silvercrest metals that the market cap i think hit a billion dollars this past week uh, and and so, I, you know, if you want to compare that to kind of a mid cap producer, you got to look at each individual situation. I mean, you could have like mid cap producers or, you know, smaller, smaller mid cap producers that are, you know, producing, you know, 80, 100,000 ounces of gold a year. And maybe they have a market cap that's two or three hundred million dollars. But that may be all they have is that one property, you know, so their upside is going to be correlated with the up, the upward movement in the price of gold. So, um, you know, I, I guess I'm just, it, it's not formulaic as to whether you would want to say, okay, well, Great, Great Bear or Silvercrest, they have these gigantic market caps and I can just buy a, a smaller cap uh, uh, producing company and and um, get better performance. You, you're certainly going to um, significantly reduce the risk profile of your of your investment if you if you swap from Great Bear to a, a mid cap producer. But um, you know you might be leaving a lot of upside on the table with something like Great Bear or Silvercrest uh, because they're both sitting on projects that just could be absolute monsters. And if I'm taking big swings at potential returns, though, I do like a little uh, less risk. And that's where those uh, near-term producers come into play. One stock that's been performing well is Pure Gold there. That's another one I, I was pounding the table on three months ago in my in my newsletter. So what are you up to 300% now <laughs> on that one? <laughs> 
something like that. The thing about pure gold is that I think it has, I think their property has the potential for a lot more resource upside than the market had been giving them credit for. I think the market over the last six weeks or so has started to uh, price in the potential for resource upside. But but again, I mean, the thing about uh, pure gold's resource is it's it's very high grade. And, and um, I actually think pure gold will probably be acquired before it ever starts mining, but you know, we'll see. Uh, and treasury and treasury metals and pure gold are to me, I kind of, they're, they're very similar because they're, they're both getting very close to making a construction decision. Now, uh, treasury metals purchased that first mining property, Goldlund. And initially I think a lot of people in the market, or at least a lot of people that a lot of my subscribers that email, they're like, geez, it seems like treasury metals is issuing a lot of shares and is, you know, has given up a lot of a lot of value for this property. The thing about the property is, and and I was on uh, the uh, the webcast where where they got you know management got on there with um, some guys from First Mining and, and they and they talked about it. And uh, some of the people involved with this think that ultimately there could be as much as a 10 million ounce resource there. Now I think that's aggressive, but who knows? Uh, but I mean, even if you even if you say ultimately between the Goliath property and the Goldlum property, you know, there's there's five million mineable ounces. Um, I mean, that that that's that's a big gold mine by today's standards. There there there's been very few uh, in, in the last 20 years. There's been very few five million ounce gold discoveries. So um, uh, you know, again, there's there's obviously plenty of exploration risk as to whether or not they can ever prove up a resource of that size. But um, at least the early indications are that there could be something significant there. So um, ultimately, I think Treasury Metals has a lot more upside from here, and I think that that Goldlund acquisition was was a was a really good acquisition for them to make. And again, it's you know like Pure Gold. Uh, I think at some point you're going to see Treasury probably get acquired by a, a large, a real you know much larger cap company that already has production, and um, and will go in there and 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 put in the mine. Before you go, Dave, could you? Uh introduce possibly a, a mining stock pick that you've already given your your subscribers a chance to pick up in the market if they want? Sure. And um, there, there's, I had a lot of great ideas <laughs> earlier this year, but, you know, like D Discovery Metals, a lot of these, a lot of these stocks have already tripled, quadrupled. Um, the performance of my fund, the, the equity portfolio side of my fund was, I mean, we were up you know, a little bit on an unaudited basis at this point, uh, over a hundred percent for the for the second quarter, and it, a lot of it was, you know, and and I I invest either personally or in my fund in in almost all of the ideas that I present. I mean, that's part of why I started the Mining Stock Journal was because it would force me to actually um, do a lot more research and look at a lot more ideas for my fund. So. Um, but now there's a there's a company and I you know typically as you know Bill I, I try to keep my my best ideas proprietary for my subscribers but if I've been following a company and recommending a company long enough um, you know I don't mind sharing it with with on podcasts and there's a company called Rugby Mining it's R U G dot V on the on the venture exchange and. RBMNF on the, again, I don't know if it's OTC bulletin board or pink sheets at this point, but it doesn't matter. I mean, it's, you can trade it. It's, it's, 
in you know the the five letter symbol's not real liquid, but it'll get more liquid over time. Um, so th this this for me this company is really an investment in the management as much as it is in the projects that they have lined up. So the the management is and and the board is basically the same people who um, went in and developed Exeter. Exeter Resources, which was a giant copper gold porphyry project in Chile, and ultimately Gold Corp, you know, before it got acquired by Newmont, um, purchased Exeter for that for that project. It's, it's massive, you know, 30 million ounce copper gold. I think it's 30 million ounces of gold equivalent, uh, but a lot of it's copper. So now Newmont owns it. And then before that, they they went in and and built up Extore and and sold that off. And that that the Exeter was actually a spinoff from Extore. So um, it's that I think that the, the the guys running, well now running rugby, Bryce Roxborough, Yale Simpson, and their team of geologists, I think I think they're like extraordinary geologists and and they put a lot of their own money um, where their mouth is. So so for instance, Bryce Roxborough right now is is by far the largest holder of rugby. And every time they've needed to meet to raise money to keep going, he's reached into his pocket. So um, but they've got uh, they've got a project in the Philippines, and I, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. Um, that is a you know a potential for a, a a large copper gold porphyry, and they've done some drilling on it, and uh, they they also have two gold silver projects in in Colombia. And the, the, the project of, that's kind of on the front burner now is, is one of the gold silver projects in, in Colombia. And again, I, I can't remember the name of the project off the top of my head. And I literally just wrote it up for my next mining stock journal. <laughs> but uh, what they're waiting for down there is to get drill permits. And also for uh, Colombia has, ha has been one of the, the more restrictive countries in terms of um, dealing with the virus. So at, right now at this point, they, you know, they, they can't even drill even if they had the permits, but it's, it's going to happen in the next few months. And um, Colombia is a, a very hot country right now for gold projects, copper gold projects, and gold silver projects. And and um, I was talking with Rob Gray, who's um, he's the corporate development guy, and he was the corporate development guy with Exeter. And uh, he said that he's you know Bryce is convinced. He, Bryce and Yale Simpson are both convinced that this project is a discovery waiting to happen. And you know when I hear you know those two guys say something like that, it it, it pricks my ears and I get interested. Now again, this is a very and I've talked with Bryce about and I've talked with him about the Philippines project. So um, uh, the reason why I think this is an interesting opportunity is, and again, it's it's highly risky. You know, they could start drilling out all their projects and and return nothing. You know, they could be dusters. Who knows? I, I don't think they will be. But I mean, it's a six cent stock, right? So you got a you've got a market cap of of about eight million dollars there. And and so your downside is very limited. Your upside is, you know, five or 10 times potential. And that's why I like this situation. That's why I like the name. You know, again, if you're going to invest in this, um, use money that, you know, going into it, you know, might get cut in half. 
you know, so you don't want to swing for the fence with this one yet. You start to build up, you know, as they start drilling and if they start getting results that indicate, and again, they're not going to necessarily make a discovery on the first set of drill holes that they poke, but each drill hole that they, that they poke, whether or not it makes a discovery, gives them more information about where to put the next drill holes. So um, as, as um, drill results start to flow, say over the next six to nine months, assuming Columbia opens up enough to let them start drilling, um, you know, that's when you start to add to your position. And it, it may, you know, the stock, you know, let's let's say the drill results are favorable, you know, in the, in the first phase of their drilling, um, you know, the stock might go from six cents to 10 cents. But, you know, you're going to add at 10 cents because there's less, there's a little bit less risk because it's starting to look like there may actually be something there that's, that's worth spending money on in terms of exploring. So, um, this one I kind of put in the category of extremely high risk, but extremely high return. And and again, at, at this point, it, it's a bet on the jockey, not the horse. Dave, you mentioned that their OTC listing is not very liquid at this time. Do you think it's wise for a lot of these companies that want to reach U.S. investors to upgrade that OTC listing to at least the OTC QB or QX even? Well, I mean, there's qualification standards. So if a company, you know, there may be two reasons why a company stays on the pink sheets instead of gets formally listed on the OTC bulletin board. And, and um, you know, it, it, they may not qualify for listing on the OTC bulletin board. And, you know, that, that doesn't, that doesn't, you know, make, that doesn't delegitimize the company's uh, project. Um, or detract from the legitimacy of the project. It just means they don't have an, enough um, substance yet to qualify for listing there. But then it's also more expensive. So there's also costs involved. So you got to kind of you kind of got to um, balance out, um, you know, capital management with with you know the benefits of you know moving from the pink sheets to the OTC bulletin board. Um, I was just trying to look on here to see if. So, um, but I do, I will say that companies that are still on the pink sheets, but can qualify and can afford the OTC Bolton board listing should definitely upgrade their listing because, you know, to the extent that the OTC Bolton board has listing standards and each, there's three different levels and each level has higher listing standards. It, it kind of, it's just another check and balance that, Hey, this company is, is legitimate. So, um, if the company can you know, can qualify for the listing and can afford it, they should absolutely do that. And it also improves the liquidity, you know, and, and it improves their ability to raise capital. If you want to find more about Dave's, inform, uh, his mining stock journal, please head on over to investmentresearchdynamics.com and you'll see right there at the header, you can click on the mining stock journal. Uh, Dave shared some of his picks, but those were picks that were revealed weeks or months prior to his subscribers. As always, Dave, thanks for coming on today's show and sharing your insights. Thanks for having me on again, Bill. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks.
The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really you could do really really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks, don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can, do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.